God, we pray for our brothers and sisters at Dove Westgate Fellowship who is uh, worshiping in their new auditorium for the first time today. We ask, God, that your blessing be upon them. We ask that the, that place would be filled and there would be an opportunity for many to come and hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray that your anointing would be upon them and that the truth of the gospel will always be found in that place. May they be faithful to your word and always committed to the leadership of your spirit. And so, God, we just ask that you would continue to do a, a work in our region and the many churches that are gathered here this morning. We just want to see a harvest of souls. We want to see people come to Jesus Christ. We want them to discover what life can be through the, the teaching of the word and the, and the leadership of your spirit. And so, God, we just ask for your care over us this morning as we open your word and we uh, all receive from what's upon your heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So welcome on this uh, Labor Day weekend. I know we, we know that people travel and, and go other places on such weekends. That's why we can do what we do on, on Memorial Weekend, 4th of July, and Labor Day, and then the Sunday after Christmas is we do a family worship Sunday because we can actually fit them in the space, uh, having all the children in with us. And so we welcome you children here in this room uh, for this Sunday. And uh, I'm going to guess that almost everybody here in this room, children included, has gone somewhere this summer uh, as part of traveling. If you've not traveled yet uh, during the summer and you're looking at your parents saying, we haven't gone anywhere, you have tomorrow left. Um, that's about it. Uh, because as most of you realize, schools have started, except for Warwick, who plans to, I guess, start in 2020. Um, it seems like forever since uh, other schools have started, and we are yet to start here in this town. Uh, but we recognize that changes come and, and it is a new season. Well, last summer, I had the privilege of traveling uh, to Israel. If you have never gone to Israel, let me just say, it is definitely something to put on your bucket list to get there. I've spent, since my younger years, being in the church as a child, uh, learning about Israel, uh, the stories of the patriarchs, uh, and, and then ultimately into the New Testament with Jesus and then his disciples and then the, the birth of the church. I've studied all these things that are relative to that part of the world. And so to go there and actually see it with my own eyes was quite a revelation. It, it was a game changer in my own reading of Scripture. Something happened, though, uh, as I was there in my travels. I mean, the first few days... Uh, and by the way, my, my trip was led by Elmer, who Landis, who's sitting here to my left. He leads annually trips to Israel. And, uh, and so as our leader, he began our journey in Israel in Galilee area or the Golan Heights, as many of you might know that term. And uh, so we were traveling in that area. And then finally, in the middle of our trip, we got to come down to Jerusalem. And this picture is taken from the hill called Mount of Olives. And, uh, and so where we stayed while in Jerusalem was on the backside of that hill. So you couldn't see the Temple Mount of Jerusalem where we were staying. But if you come over the crest, this is what you look at. And uh, so this would be the view that Jesus had when he came into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday and saw it as he's coming in and realizing that he is coming into the city to come and die and ultimately bring life to all of us through his resurrection. And so this was a very profound opportunity for me because so much of our history comes from that place right there, that city. And, uh, and so I was excited to come in. So our first morning in Jerusalem, we're looking at this and, uh, and seeing that image with our own eyes and the panoramic of it all. And, uh, and then we drove into the city. We, we kind of went into uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the right below us. Uh, you can kind of see in the lower right-hand corner uh, the pictures of trees. That's kind of the edge of the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and then we went into the city to go to the Temple Mount. Now, while we were there, uh, it was Ramadan. And Ramadan, uh, during that time, they actually closed uh, the Temple Mount 
to all those who are not uh, Muslim. And so you had to be Muslim for those two days. And so of our three days, we weren't allowed on the Temple Mount. It was a, a means of keeping the peace, if you will, uh, between all the different religions that uh, worship on that, in that town. And so on our one day, going to the Temple Mount, we were allowed to navigate through. And I'll be honest, I did not see anything that would be of violence. I didn't see anything that would have been a bad look directly towards me uh, or any kind of conflict between people. In fact, I didn't see any of that. But by the end of my first day at the Temple Mount, I was exhausted. I was completely drained. And, and what was strange is that what was part of that was that I felt the entire time I was in Jerusalem a lack of, of things that I would say is peace. In fact, what I would describe as what I felt was tension in the air. Jealousy, judgment, fear, and yes, even anger. Nothing observed in a sense direct between people but it was something you felt as a person coming in, never having been there before. In fact, after three days of being in Jerusalem on my third night, as I'm looking at this and I'm, I'm feeling all that tension, I, I'm look, gasping for a way to define it. And, and the way I can define it is this. It was the complete absence of peace. Have you ever been in a place where there is Zero sense of peace. No sense of anything where you could say you can just relax. There is calm. It was a complete absence of peace. And so I'm lying in my bed realizing that's what I was feeling. A complete absence of peace. So I turned on my light and I began to go to scripture because something occurred to me when I came to that definition of what I was feeling. Is that we are called to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now, growing up in my small town of Kansas, there was one car that had a bumper sticker that said, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. One. Now, there, I knew every car in town, but there was one that I knew that. So I knew that had to be in Scripture, right? If it's on a bumper sticker, it must be biblical. <laughs> so I go into Scripture that night and, and find in Psalm 122, verse 6, this verse that says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem and may those who love you be secure. And I'm thinking, there's something to this. We're called to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Yet that is the very thing I could not discern on its behalf at all. It was a complete absence of it. So I began to feverishly go through Scripture to try to understand what this means that we're supposed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I found a clue in Matthew chapter 23. So I'm going to have you turn to Matthew chapter 23 quickly, and then I'm going to turn it over to Elmer to give us understanding and context to the significance of Jerusalem and why we should pray for its peace. So Matthew chapter 23, if you do not have a Bible, our ushers would be glad to provide you one. If you do not own one, please keep this Bible as a gift from us. So Matthew chapter 23, I'm going to begin by reading in verse 37. A little context though, Jesus has just come into the city at riding on a donkey. This is the week of his death. So Palm Sunday's already happened, and now this moment happens. Verse 37, Jerusalem, Jesus speaking, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Yet you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So quickly, I'll say this. You see here in this text that Jesus is basically giving himself a length of time that is beyond 
what was his lifetime. You see, it's a 33-year-old man speaking this to them, and he's saying, I have sent to you. As part of being of the Godhead, he pre-existed Israel. But for centuries, the Father and the Son had sent messengers with love letters and warnings to Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, I have chosen you. Jerusalem, I love you. I will do anything for you to bring you in relationship to me. Jerusalem, will you not worship me? Jerusalem, I've established you as the place where you can come to me and I can come to you. Jerusalem, it is you and we're through you. And at this place, I have offer, offered so many promises and covenants. Yet the resistance to those messengers retaliation to many of those messengers, hate towards those messengers, and rebellion towards them were the more common responses that those prophets experienced. But God never relented. He let his love continue for Jerusalem, including sending his own son to Jerusalem to die so that he could become the final blood sacrifice in Jerusalem, to cover sins of the past, present, and future. God's love never relented, and he's proving it now. But yet, as Jesus is speaking, he knows that they reject him too. In fact, they're going to reject him to the point where on Friday, they will crucify him, judging him for being, bringing a message they did not want to hear. But this rejection was to him being the true prince of peace. You see, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says the coming Messiah will be your prince of peace. He will be the one that will bring the peace you are looking for. And so Jesus has come into the city, bringing the peace that they have been praying for, and they rejected him like all the other messengers. So this peace is significant because when you realize what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 23, he says to me, to them, you will not see me again. You will not hear from me again until you realize that I am the one coming in the name of the Lord. So in other words, Jerusalem, you will not discover that I am the true Prince of Peace until I come back as the Prince of Peace, and you'll declare me as the true Messiah. So when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we literally are praying for the Prince of Peace to come back and establish his authority before the nations of the world. And to share that story through the biblical chronology of it all, I have my brother Elmer that's going to bring the rest of this message. Okay. Would you welcome him? Yeah, okay. Well, and our Father taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. You will be done on earth like it is in heaven. There's something about God wants to bring his kingdom to earth. And when we were born again, we became part of God's family. And the father of this family, our Father in heaven, is planning the redemption of the whole earth. And he's going to be doing that by bringing Jesus again to come again. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached and 3,000 people got saved. And the next day, he also had another message and 5,000 got saved. And in Acts chapter 3, he makes this statement to those people that were hearing the message that day. He said, repent then and turn to God so your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you even Jesus the heavens must receive him he has to stay in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets so God's been promising an amazing conclusion to history and it's involving it is the coming of the Messiah, and it's been prophesied by the holy prophets. 
In Isaiah 32, verse 1, C, a king will reign in righteousness, and rulers will rule with justice. Isaiah has a lot more to say about that. But let's go on to Micah, another prophet. Micah chapter 4 has a lot of detail. It says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple. Now, the mountain of the Lord's temple is what you just saw in that picture. That picture is Mount Moriah, where the, the dome of the rock is and where the temple used to be. That's called Mount Moriah. And here it says, in the last days, that mountain where the Lord's temple of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of all the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and people will stream to it. Imagine this. Many nations will come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. So we may walk in his paths. All the nations are going to want to know how to, who God is and his ways. The law will go forth, go out of Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And the prophet Zechariah adds more to this. In Zechariah chapter 8, he says, the Lord Almighty says this. Now listen to God's emotion, God's commitment. I am jealous over Zion, for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. This is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion. I will dwell in Jerusalem. I'm coming back. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. Tony was just talking about all the ways Jerusalem has rejected the Lord, but it's going to end up being the city of truth, the city of faithfulness. And the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. It's going to be, the nations are going to recognize there's only one God, and his mountain is a holy place. This is where he paid for our redemption. David was the one that God called to establish Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. He conquered that city from the Jebusites, and then he reigned there, and he actually bought the Temple Mount when he, from the Aruna, the Jebusite, the threshing floor, where the Solomon built the temple as a memorial to God's name. And then he says in Psalm 122, which Tony already referred to, that's, that, I'll read the rest of that psalm here. It says, Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem, as David writing this. And he says, there stands the thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. They're set in Jerusalem. And we know that David, the son of David, the greater son of David is Jesus, and he's going to sit on that throne, and the throne is set in Jerusalem. May those who love her be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Now Solomon built the temple, and then that was destroyed by the Babylonians. But it was rebuilt by Zerubbabel in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. But that temple was destroyed as well. The second temple was destroyed by the Romans in the year 70 AD. So there's no temple there now. You saw the picture. There's the Dome of the Rock. Where is the temple of God now? In us, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I'll seek the prosperity of Jerusalem. There's a connection that God is making here between us and Jerusalem. It's, it's going to bless us, bless the whole world when Jerusalem calls out to Jesus as Messiah. There's a battle, though, right now raging over Jerusalem because of God's plans. The enemy is seeking to thwart those plans. And we can't be neutral in this, in this fight the, to bring the kingdom of God to earth. There's a, a war going on, and we have to be engaged in this battle. Heaven's been won. We know the enemy has been cast out of heaven, but he's on earth. And God's bringing the victory now to earth. And Jerusalem's the place of destiny for this the conclusion of this battle. Our Father chose it. The throne of David's there. And let's look at a little history about how God chose Jerusalem. He sent Abraham there to offer up Isaac. Remember that? At the end of Abraham's life. And they built an altar, and Isaac submitted to being, to being uh, bound and put on that altar. But then God interrupted and stopped the sacrifice. And he provided a substitute. He let them see into the future how there's going to be a substitute for our 
death. The sinless one will die for us. And they let Abraham and Isaac got to experience that. And they worship God there. And then Abraham calls that mountain. He names it. He names it Jehovah Jireh. Or in Hebrew, it would be Yahweh Yireh. This is the place of God's provision. Everything about redemption will be provided on the mountain of God. Our father, well, then earlier than that, I said before that, Abraham was there as well with a man named Melchizedek, which means king of righteousness. And they had an interesting event. Abraham gave a tithe of everything that he had conquered and when he rescued Lot. And then Melchizedek brings out bread and wine. The first mention of bread and wine is in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem wasn't a city at that point. It was a mountain and a valley, but it was going to be the place that God chose to put his name later. And they had bread and wine, the, the, the symbols of the covenant that we, use for, that we know as a memorial to, God's, to Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf for our redemption. The first mention of that is there, and we're going to have communion later today. So God has been working in Jerusalem over the years, and as of the, later on, David captures Jerusalem and makes it the capital of Israel. He rules as king there. Then Solomon builds a temple, which we already talked about, and then that temple was destroyed, and a new temple built. And then many years later, and then Jesus comes. And Jesus' ministry started in Galilee, but then he kept coming to Jerusalem. He came and his ministry to Jerusalem, and we already talked about how he rode into Jerusalem on the donkey on, on Palm Sunday, and he went into the temple and he cleansed the temple. And then he went out, and later on that week, he died there. Just like Abraham was willing to offer up Isaac, God was offered his own son at that same place. And this time he didn't stop it. Jesus died in our place. The sinless one took our place. And he was buried. And then he rose again on the third day. Hallelujah. <laughs> and he lives forevermore. So we have... Uh, a, a living savior and then he showed himself to his followers for the next 40 days and then after 40 days he ascended into heaven he went to the mount of olives and his disciples with him and he slowly went, disappeared into heaven and went into the clouds and they were wondering what happens next <laughs> and two messengers from god were there and they said this same jesus that you have seen go away from you into heaven will come back to you in the same way as he went into heaven. So he ascended and he's coming back. So everything for our redemption happens in Jerusalem. It's all the center of God's activity on earth. Yeshua will come back. That's Jesus' Hebrew name, Yeshua, which means salvation. It's amazing. God gave Jesus the name that means salvation in Hebrew. So when the people were calling him Yeshua all the time when he was here, they were saying salvation, salvation. So Yeshua is coming back in the same way he left. He's coming in the clouds with power and great glory to the Mount of Olives. Zechariah 14 says he'll put his feet in the Mount of Olives and he's going to sit on the throne of David and rule the world with righteousness. Now, there's one more prophet I want to look at, and that is in Jeremiah 33. If you want to turn there, Jeremiah 33. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet, and that's because he got to minister during the time when Israel's rebellion was at its height, and he had to declare that Jerusalem's going to get destroyed. It wasn't a happy calling, but he was faithful to it. And... Uh, he, got, he was, unfortunately, got to see Daniel and Ezekiel and Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah get carried away as captives into exile in Babylon. You might know those last three as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I was saying their Hebrew names, okay? But um, they got Babylonian names as well. But even though he had to pronounce the judgment in his day, he also was given the opportunity to see into the future of what's going to happen in Jerusalem. So here in Jeremiah 33, 
after the couple verses of talking about how it's going to be destruction, then in verse 6 he says, Nevertheless, after all that judgment, I will bring health and healing to it, to Jerusalem. I will heal my people, let them enjoy abundant peace and security. I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity, and I will restore them as they were before, rebuild them. I will cleanse them from all the sin they've committed against me, and I'll forgive all the sin of rebellion against me. And then this city will, be, will bring me renown and praise and joy and honor before all the nations on earth that hear of the good things I do for it. They will be in awe. That's the nations will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. Here we see God's grace is going to be released in Jerusalem and he's going to deal with the people of Jerusalem and give them a repentance heart and have their sins cleansed and end the rebellion. God's going to be faithful to his commitment and all the nations are going to know that he is God by what happens here. Let's just review a bit of the restoration that we're getting to see in our day. Jeremiah prophesied this a long time ago, but it's happening now. 150 years ago was the year 1867, a couple, 152 years ago, a man named Mark Twain, who we know is a, a great American writer, went to the Holy Land and he visited with some other people and he wrote about his experience there. And he, he just, it was, this was that time it was part of the Ottoman Empire centered in Constantinople. It was a forgotten part of that empire and no one was paying much attention to it. And, it was, and he described it as total desolation, dry and barren and nearly lifeless, nothing. A couple decades later, during the time of, you remember, of the Fiddler on the Roof story, Jewish people from Russia and Ukraine began to filter into this land. They, they learned how to farm. They dried up the swampy areas, and they began to plant some orange trees and, and began to see some life and some productivity happen. And they sent messages out, and other people began to join them, and even Arabs came in there as well. And they began to see the land flourishing. Then World War I happened. World War I in 1917, the Ottoman Empire dissolved during that war, and the British captured Palestine, including the city of Jerusalem. Maybe you know Major Allenby. He was the one that took Jerusalem without firing a shot. And then a couple years later, the World Council, the League of Nations, confirmed that this land should be the homeland for the Jewish people. And they commissioned Britain to oversee the resettlement of Jews there. Well, that didn't go so well. I mean, it started out okay, but it, pretty soon it became a lot of conflict between the people that wanted to control that land. And Britain really uh, failed to make it a homeland for the Jews. It became a divided land. And in 1948, the United Nations, which took the place of the League of Nations, made a declaration that there should be two nations in this territory. And the Jewish people said, yes, we'll take a nation. And the Arab people instead rejected it and said, we don't want one. And the War of Independence happened. And, and it was a, a miraculously, the Israel wasn't destroyed, even though they were attacked by six Arab armies. They survived, although they lost Jerusalem, the old city. Well, there were more wars. In 1956, a second war with Egypt resulted in Israel getting the Sinai Peninsula. A third war, happened, third war in Israel happened in 1967. We know that as the Six-Day War in June. And Israel's attacked from three sides and, and were able to take over the rest of the land of Israel to the Jordan River and the Golan Heights. And they conquered Jerusalem. They took Jerusalem as well. And they could make it one united city and named it their capital even though the rest of the world didn't agree to that. Another, one more war with Egypt occurred in 1973, the Yom Kippur War, which was a brutal battle fighting, but no, no territory was changed, changed hands. But it led to a peace treaty. Egypt made a decision. We're not going to fight Israel anymore. Peace came in a measure. Okay? One nation gave up the fight, and they signed a peace treaty with Israel, Anmar Sadat, and Menachem Begin. And then next year, the International Christian Embassy opened in Jerusalem. The International Christian Embassy, what's that? That is a 
group of people that saw we need to have a way of representing the Christian people to the nation of Israel. And they opened an embassy there, and every year they sponsor a Feast of Tabernacles celebration in Jerusalem for believers around the world to come and express their support to what God is doing there and restoring Jerusalem to himself. In 1993, then, the Oslo Accords were signed, which was supposed to be a roadmap to peace in the Middle East, which ended, unfortunately, in the year 2000 when the Arab uprising took place and any hopes for peaceful coexistence was demolished by terrorists wreaking havoc all over Israel and eventually leading to a wall of separation to keep these two peoples apart from each other so that suicide bombers can infiltrate. But Israel again continued to prosper and economically. And then the last year, what happened? One, a major nation said, we're going to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. The United States moved its, its embassy to Jerusalem. And that really made an impact. So there's a lot of development in the last hundred years. Something is going on. God is restoring, rebuilding things as they were before. And it's an amazing thing. But what really excites me is the spiritual awakening that's also developing at the same time. Now, I've been to Israel a lot of times, and I've, for a long time, it seemed like Jesus was totally not in the discussion. He was being ignored. Because that's what the rabbi said, Jesus is for the Gentiles. He's not for us. That's what they're thinking. And, but that's changing. The last five years, there's a, a, a total different attitude, a major uh, topic of discussion. Yeshua is a major topic of discussion now. He's being considered by many people in, all over Israel, especially among the youth. And there's, there's a beginning to seek as a curiosity is being stirred and people begin to search for the truth and many are finding it. In 1948 when Israel was formed there was only a handful of believers and now there's over 200 congregations. There are small congregations but there's a testimony of that Jesus Messiah all throughout Israel and it's making a big impact. God is stirring his, the Jewish people to have an encounter with him. And at the same time, something's happening among us Gentile believers, and we're being stirred to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, as Tony was just sharing with you. And we're going to do that this morning. We're going to take some time to intercede for God's full restoration of his people to himself. So I recognize this was probably the strangest message you ever just heard. It's not normal that we would go through a history lesson and tie to something, but I believe there is something we have missed in our own understanding and reading of Scripture, that there is part of our journey a connection to Israel and Israel's future that we have a lot at stake in, and the world has a lot at stake in. And so what was revealed to me, like I'm there, I'm feeling this lack of peace, it's drawing me in and realize we're called to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and that peace will only come when Jesus is revealed as the true king. Amen. So when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we're praying for the Prince of Peace's return. And so we're going to pray now and I'm gonna highlight again this, the passage that was, that was said up here in uh, Jeremiah chapter 33 where it says, uh, when, when I will cleanse them from their sin and they have committed against all that they've committed against me and will forgive them of all their sins of rebellion against me, then this city will bring me renown, joy, praise, and honor before all the nations on the earth. For they will hear the good things I will do for it. They will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. So there is going to be something otherworldly that the world is going to be scratching their head and saying, the one city that has created so much angst at the United Nations, where there's argument as to who should be in charge of it, who's truly the leader, whose territory it is, that there will be a day that the world will just be in awe of the fact that it's unified. And not only that, it's a city of peace. 
And so we're going to pray now that as it says also in Isaiah 62, 7, we are going to give ourselves no rest and give the Lord no rest from our prayers until he makes Jerusalem the praise of the whole earth. And so we're going to pray for Jerusalem. We're going to pray for the peace of Christ to be revealed in Jerusalem as a testimony to the entire world that Jesus is who he said he was. So let's pray now for that peace to be revealed in Jerusalem so that the world will know about Jesus. God, may it happen. Where right now that city is divided into different quarters of different religions that have to be on their toes about the other's presence. A place where it creates arguments in a city far away in New York where there's different claims laid to that city, but there is only one true owner and one true name that belongs over that city, and that is you. So God, would you reveal that that is your city and that you would reveal to the world that Jesus is the true Prince of Peace and that peace will be found in Jerusalem through the name of Jesus Christ as a testimony to the rest of the world. Lord, let that be, and may our prayers be to that end. Put it upon our hearts to pray for that city, for them to come to know the name of Jesus. Amen. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, there's another promise that God gives us about Jerusalem. He said, I will pour out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, on the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace a spirit of grace grace is receiving God's favor not earning it but it's a gift that's something that the Jewish people have been missing they are, and the Arabs as well they've both been working to earn their salvation and God said you can't do it it comes by grace He's going to pour out a spirit of grace all over Jerusalem, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the Jews and the Arabs. They're going to look on me, the one who is pierced, and they'll mourn as they come to recognize I'm the Messiah. <clears throat> so let's just pray right now for God to release that spirit of grace, revelation of grace in the city of Jerusalem, in his city, the city of the king. Let's, let's kind of into prayer right now for that. faith without a revelation from you, Father. And we just thank you for your Spirit's work of opening the eyes and hearts of the people of Jerusalem to the revelation of grace, the free gift of salvation. Everyone who calls in the name of Yeshua will be saved. Let them identify Jesus as the Passover lamb, the one who was pierced. In Hosea 3, we also have this scripture, a promise that we can pray into. After many days without a king or temple, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they'll come trembling. Again, the word trembling. They'll come trembling to the Lord and his blessings in the last days. Hallelujah. Let's just let's lift this up to that God would touch the hearts of the people of Jerusalem to seek him the living God and Messiah their King and and call out to him. Let's pray for that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for hearing our prayer that stirring up that need to know, that desire to find the truth all over Jerusalem, Father. There's been 
false things been taught so many long, so long. Father, break the stronghold of false religion and release revelation of the truth. Father, give that stir that hunger to know the truth, and then meet these people and give them that revelation, like you did for us, Father. The mercy you showed us, the grace you showed us. Father, extend that to the the people of Jerusalem, Father, that they would truly call out to Jesus as Messiah so you can come again. We pray in Jesus' name. The Apostle Paul, who was himself a Jew, had been quite defensive of the historic understanding of the Messiah to the point where he rejected Jesus himself and even would incarcerate, arrest people who claimed to be followers of Jesus Christ and then oversaw the death of many of those who claimed to follow after Jesus. So Paul felt guilty for a lot of that work when God revealed himself to Paul and Paul realized that Jesus is the true Messiah. And, and so he said this statement, can, can you imagine what would happen if the rejection of Israel brought about the reconciliation of the world? In other words, Israel rejected Jesus as the Messiah and then crucified him. Imagine what would happen if they accept Jesus, what would happen on behalf of the rest of the world. That's what Paul says in Romans 11:5. And so we need to pray that, that there would be a massive revival among the Israelites, that they, the Jews will realize that they had missed the true Messiah and that he is revealed in Jesus Christ. And we got to pray that they can no longer be blind to it, but see. Paul also says that we don't fight against weapons of this world. Rather, we fight on contrarily to that which is of divine power to demolish strongholds, spiritual strongholds. So we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So when Paul prays, he prays against the enemy's work. And see, the enemy's done a great job over the last several centuries of causing the Jewish people to not see the truth of Jesus that is so plain in their scriptures. So let's pray that the veil that has clouded them and blinded them will fall and they'll begin to see the truth and the reality of Jesus as the Messiah. So let's pray now for that wall to come down. Oh God, let it be. Let it be that uh, in our lifetime that we can begin to see the, the, the lies and the, and the darkness that has shrouded their ability to see the, the clarity of these, these prophecies that point to Jesus. I mean, how else can we read what we've just read out of these scriptures in Zechariah that said, the pierced one. And, and yet it's right there and they, and they missed it. So God tear those walls down that the enemy has allowed to stay up and help them to see the truth of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Lord, bring that in our lifetime that you would receive glory. In Isaiah 12, we have another way to pray for the salvation of the Jewish people. There it says, surely God is my salvation. And then later it says, with joy you will draw water from the well of salvation. And again, I told you earlier that the word for Jesus' name in Hebrew is salvation, Yeshua, which means salvation. There isn't life anywhere else. Yeshua is the way, the truth, and the life. That's the only way you can get saved, to come to the Father is through Him. And that's where thirsty souls need to get to to find relief everyone who calls the name of Yeshua will be saved so we just want to call out now that the Jewish people would give up the other places they're looking for life and come to the well of living water Yeshua let's pray for that release of when you're thirsty you got to find a place to drink that they've identified the right place thank you Father hmm
You're the way of salvation. There is no other. Father, we thank you that you have said they will draw water with joy from the well of salvation. Thank you for giving courage to Jewish people to go against their upbringing and go to Jesus. Come to the fountain of living water. Father, that takes a lot of courage, and we pray for that boldness and that you will motivate them to, I've got to know the truth, and I'm going to take hold of it. Kind of like that blind man in Jericho who said, Jesus coming, and he called out for Jesus' help. And people said, no, no, he's not for you. He's not, he doesn't care about you, but he called all the more. Father, give him that, that tenacity. I've got to get to Jesus. I've got to find out who he is and connect with him and find salvation. Thank you for stirring that in, in their hearts. And Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Father, we are far away from Jerusalem, but we are praying for your work there. And we thank you that you hear us and your eyes are upon us and your ears are open to our prayers. We believe that you're changing the situation and releasing rescue of souls throughout the land of Israel and in the city of Jerusalem. We pray this in the name of Jesus with faith. Amen. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty special to partake in that which Jesus gave so that we would never forget what he had done for us. He gave us this table. And so on the Mount of Olives one evening, we took of communion together. And it was a very special occasion. We can't forget all that Jesus has done. And one of these days, that table will be the primary table of Jerusalem. But until that day happens, we as Christians get the opportunity to remember. So if you are helping serve with communion, would you come at this time to help prepare for us as believers to share in this table. So practicing that which was Jewish. Jesus was helping them remember the Passover that had happened in delivering the people of Israel from the tyranny of Egypt. But then Jesus was giving them new meaning to that very Passover meal when he did this. He took of the cup, and he took of the bread, and gave it new definitions. And so today what we're going to do is to remember Jesus as we were instructed we're going to do so a little differently this morning. We're going to pass out both elements before we partake together. So all I'd ask is that you would wait um, and hold on to the bread until the cup is, is received. And then with two together at the end, we will all partake. If you are a visitor here this morning and you are a child of God, you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you're welcome to participate with us. You do not have to be a member or an attender of LAFC to do so. Just merely one who says... Jesus is my Lord. And we welcome anyone who has said that to participate. on the life of Jesus Christ in those three years that he served in ministry. He modeled what it meant to give of your life for the sake of another. True sacrifice, true servanthood, true love. And he modeled that to his disciples. And then at that Passover feast when he held up the bread and he broke it, he said, this is my body which is for you. So let's take into account the way Jesus lived in that body as we remember him now. Let's take together. Thank you, Jesus, mm -hmm. for the bread mm -hmm. being the bread of life. Amen. We remember you and what you did to show love to all of those that might have even been unlovely and to serve those who had not been served. Mm -hmm. 
model for us what it means to live in that body. Thank you, Jesus. And Jesus took the cup that night with his disciples. He said, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for you. Take this in remembrance of me. Drink this in remembrance of me. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And Jesus is about to shed his own blood for us. So let's take this cup in remembrance of the great sacrifice Yeshua made for us with thanksgiving. creator and author of the greatest sacrifice and an example of love we receive you now receive you as the true Messiah the true risen one and the one who will declare yourself as king and the true prince of peace one day in Israel and in particular Jerusalem and then the world will know <laughs> the world will know this could not have happened but by the one who is truly truth, truly the Prince of Peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please? But we've just given you new information, possibly, on how to pray. It's different. I get it. People won't understand why you're praying for Jerusalem when Lancaster needs a lot of prayer. Lidditz, Aphrodite, Mannheim, Schaeferstown, Township, for crying out loud, <laughs> needs prayer. It all needs prayer. But we're supposed to pray for Jerusalem because the world is at stake as a result. So we pray for Christ's return. And I trust that as you pray for it, your heart will grow closer to God because that's what's upon his heart. So I send you out in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the true Messiah, the true Prince of Peace. Amen. You are dismissed.